0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.
3: Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast "Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books." Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at moms don't have time to read books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion followed by 30 minutes of Q and A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com under the virtual book club section or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's sponsor is Tim Tebow's book, Bronco and Friends, A Party to Remember, a new book from the New York Times bestselling author and football star. In a world that often expects everyone to look and act the same, standing out can make us feel less than. But as Bronco and his friends learn, bringing your own particular gifts to the party makes it more fun for everyone. This sweet story and adventure to remember reminds children and their favorite adults that every one of us is special, wonderfully made, and essential to God's big party. Find out more at timtebow.com slash friends. Priya Parker is a master facilitator, strategic advisor, and the host and executive producer of the New York Times podcast, Together Apart. Trained in the field of conflict resolution, Priya has worked on race relations on American college campuses and on peace processes in the Arab world, Southern Africa, and India. Priya is also the acclaimed author of The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters, which shows us how to approach gatherings in a way that will help us create meaningful and memorable experiences. The book has been hailed as a best business book of the year by Amazon, Esquire, NPR, and Bloomberg, just to name a few. Priya's work has also been featured in numerous outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, Oprah.com, Forbes.com, and The Today Show. Her TEDx talk on purpose has been viewed over one million times. Listen to us chat here. I had such a good time getting to know her. Welcome, Priya. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank
1: you for having
3: me. The Art of Gathering. You might think this is a bad time for this book to come out, but it's actually the most important time ever for this book to come out when every gathering is sort of imbued with extra meaning and navigating how to gather becomes like the most important thing when you can't actually see anyone. So I don't know. What do you think about the timing of this release?
1: (laughs) It's ironic and it's also... You know, it's a it's a fascinating moment to have The Art of Gathering particularly come out. I mean, the paperback came out like in the midst of the pandemic and at a moment where ga- the word gathering was in, you know, every headline, perhaps in a way that it's never been before. The CDC bans gatherings, right? California, yeah. Washington State bans gatherings of 10 or more people. Andrew Cuomo bans gatherings. And in a sense, the word "gathering" and I, you know, I chose it very intentionally. At, like before COVID hit, was a source of meaning and inspiration and beauty. And kind of within three weeks, the context of the entire word flipped, you know. It, and it was a source of danger and a source of 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 death. And I think part of what has been beautiful and powerful and complicated and painful in this moment is that we still have are are grappling with and struggling with how to be together when we can't in the same old ways how do we create meaning together despite significant obstacles and you know i'm a conflict resolution facilitator so my core like day job craft Is not an events planner or a florist or a lighting expert or somebody whose profession is is reliant on the things, right? The accoutrements of a gathering. It's really about like a facilitator is trained on how do you create meaningful connection despite significant obstacles. And a huge part of the art of gathering, well before COVID, when I was writing it, you know, over the last many years is about how do we actually stop our obsession on form and on things on, and on the fish knives and the flowers and the AV equipment? How do we actually think about creating meaning not through things, but through people? And right now we can't make meaning through things. And so it's become actually this like turned up volume on how do we actually create psychological togetherness and not over rely on the physical togetherness.
3: So how do you do it? I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I, I like you, like everybody, I'm completely reliant on Zooms and FaceTimes and, you know, trying to make time for that in life, but it's not the same, you know, it's just, there's something very much missing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I hope and pray as much as everyone else that this, that this period passes as fast as possible and I think the way you do it is as actually, in some ways, the same way you do it, whether you're physical or virtual, which is you start with the need in front of you. You start with the purpose. And so in some ways, the same way, at a, if, you're plan, if you're thinking about a birthday party, I would say you don't start with the cake and the candles. In a Zoom meeting or in a Zoom staff meeting or in a Zoom birthday party, you don't start with Zoom. Like Zoom is a tool. It's not the host. And so, you know, I'll give a specific example. I have a friend who was turning 50 and he thought about like, not what kind of party do I want, but like, what is my need right now? And he was feeling like tender (laughs) about turning 50. And and he'd never felt like, he'd never really cared about birthdays. He wasn't one to like worry about getting older, but he, he felt like a a niggle, or I didn't even know if that's the right word. He felt this thing about turning 50 and he got kind of got clear on it. He said, you know, in my life, I have always been attracted to and I've always sought out adventure and risk. And and just and he was a foreign correspondent and he and he realized that in his life there were many people who once they turned 50, they began to contract. They took less risks. They started taking less of the scary jobs. And he was really worried that would happen to him. And so he decided for his 50th, he would invite the people in his life that most continued to take risks. And he brought them together and it was around a table, but you could do this on zoom. And then the first five minutes, he, he raised his glass and he said, you know, as I, and he told the story and he said, what I most want is to continue to take risks and to expand. I don't want to be somebody who contracts slowly and incrementally over the next 20 years. I want to keep expanding. And you are people who have always kept expanding despite obstacles. And I want to thank you for that. And I want you to blow that energy to me when I begin to contract and remind me of tonight.
3: I love that and even like in your book when you talked about the dinner party and something as simple as like having a few couples for dinner and oh i'm having this couple so i guess i should have this couple and da, da 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 you know what do you want to get out of a dinner party like why are you going to do this what do you want to talk about maybe you should talk about something really interesting maybe invite this other couple you hadn't even thought about and give it a whole new purpose and everything just shifts. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is like we so often have meetings or events or whatever, and because we have them, they just are what they are. And your book and your whole message really is just like no, no, no. Like we all have to stop. Yes, gatherings are part of life, but it doesn't have to be so like rote, monotonous, almost, right? Totally. Yeah. Like
1: and 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 like part of this is. People. I think at first glance we're sort of like, oh God, that's just so exhausting. I'm like, no, you know what's exhausting going through life on autopilot and like focusing on all the logistics and having everything to be perfect because you're trying to replicate somebody else's form. That's exhausting. You know what's yeah. life-giving, having a real need and looking at yourself and saying, what is it that I need right now and who might be able to help me with this? What is it that this community needs right now and how might we actually design for that? Yeah, you know, I'll give an example. I, one of the characters in the book, Ida Benedetto. She, I called her up recently. She's the one, I don't know if you remember, she creates these kind of extreme experiences to help people navigate risk with care. So she does these like fake conventions at the Waldorf Astoria where people show up in black and tie, black tie and have to do things like there's a wedding on the third floor, crash it and give a toast to the bride. Like things that just, you know, (laughs) make your palms sweat. And I called her up and I said, how are you thinking about the holidays? Like I I, I always, like when I, I, when I kind of just need a different way of thinking, I call her and she said, you know, if I could give any advice, I would say, don't think about a holiday party. How can you shift from a party to an adventure? And the difference between a party and an adventure is two things, motion and mission. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? She said, when I was, When I I threw my 30th birthday party years ago, and my and many friends often say to me, it's like one of the best nights of their life, and I'm like, why? It was so simple. And she said, basically, she had a friend, a a friend who was a photographer, who was like taking pictures of beautiful like keyholes, like on doors in the city. And she brought together like 12 friends, and they all brought had to bring their camera. She explained their mission. The mission was to find the most beautiful keyholes in the city in two hours, and then they just went. And she said, what if during like, the holidays, rather than trying to all like clamor into Zoom, and there's ways to make Zoom also meaningful, what if instead with your team or with your family, you created an adventure? You created where you can be outside. It's cold, but when you're in motion, it's not so cold. When you have a mission, it allows you to move. Like, how do we actually think about being together in ways that are new
3: experiences and don't have to look like what we think a party looks like? It's like my kids going on field trips. Right. It's like you get out of your, yes. you have to get out of the classroom every so often and you have to go into the world and you kind of like roll your eyes and you're like, really, I have to like schlep to the Queens Museum or something like that. And then you end up realizing that that's when you have the most memorable thing from the whole class, right? Totally. And you just have to push yourself to get out there because learning often doesn't happen the way you expect and neither does any of the rest. And,
1: and, and like that, the dynamics within the classroom, like all of us for good reasons, play specific roles to have some amount of order that whether it's assigned seats or whether Sally always sits by Sanjay and Sanjay always sits by Layla. And then on that sleepover, like everyone could pull their sleeping bags in the museum, like on different parts of the floor. And all of a sudden these new friendships were born. Like when we shift our spaces psychologically or virtually, we're also shifting our norms of like, who is labeled as what, right? Oh, but they're always the introvert or like, they don't usually sing. And each of us have many parts. And so gatherings, you know, I define a gathering as anytime three or more people come together for a purpose with a beginning, middle, or end. Like we're gathering all the time, but we're often gathering in ways that we're on autopilot and it's not serving anybody.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think about this all the time. So I was like, particularly, I feel like receptive to your message and your mission because I'm always like analyzing time and how we're spending Mm. time and like, is this worth it? And even my own time, right? Like is this group Zoom worth it? Like, what is my purpose? Should I put it up? Should I be doing my emails at the same time during this one or that one? Or like, how do you maximize everything? And why are we even doing it? Right? Like, what are we even, what is the point? Yes. Why are we doing it? And before I used to do it with meetings. Like, what are we all just sitting around? Why do I go to board meetings? Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) And at
1: some level, when it becomes performative, like, well, I'd like to be on that board or well, I like that company's mission or well, I... You know, whatever reason we each join boards or you join a board. And then at some level, like you don't want to, no one really wants to be this like performative sitting duck. I'll give an example. A woman came up to me pre COVID at a book event and she said, I'm an executive director. I read The Art of Gathering and it helped me figure out why my board meetings suck. I realized that they are rubber stamps. And we all as a staff work to make sure we make our most beautiful presentations. And we go like a horse, like a dog and pony show. And we show all the wonderful things that are happening. And everyone like, like, you know, politely claps and leaves. And she said, but these people on my board are brilliant and I want to use them. And so I flipped my board purpose from being a dog and pony show to being bringing them our scariest problems, right? I love that. And everything changed and people, and, and it was specific and disputable. Some of her staff were like, I don't know if this is such a good idea. You really want to tell them what the problems are. But all of a sudden, like you could see the blood come back into the board member's face. They were actually needed. Like we should be gathering because we need each other, not yes. out of obligation and like shifting it. Every community has needs that benefit by people coming together. We're just not often gathering around what those needs are. And we shouldn't judge what those needs are. Like The needs can be hilarious. They can be released. They can be like, I need to to have a night where I can talk with other mothers and we don't talk about our kids, right? I need to remember that I can be many things.
3: Yes. I feel like I need to like try to put in motion i'm on the board of like a major medical institution i don't know how receptive they'd be if i'm like okay like but then you think like gosh look at all the people sitting around this table if we were all just talking to each other how interesting would that be versus listening yeah cuz i also feel like that's some way that we've all saved time like i do feel like one perk of this pandemic not that there are any and not that i wouldn't trade it you know obviously but for times when you just need to listen and process why go anywhere Like why run around town and go from here to there to there just to sit and listen if you can do it from your computer. But if you want to be with people and like bring yourself and your feelings, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm like preaching to the choir here, but I just, I totally agree. (laughs) And,
1: and, And I, you know, I often say to my, my, like my clients, people I work with, there's even in like, in all types of institutions, there's a sense like we should have a retreat or we should have a, whatever, like a three day gathering. And I always say, like, why are you doing this? Why do you want to have a conference? What is your purpose? And then I say, if you want to invite all of these people, I want you to figure out like what the agenda is so that they would
3: cancel other stuff to attend this. Like that's the bar. And that usually like there has to be something they're getting out of it. Absolutely. You you have to look at it as like... like marketing. Like I have this anthology coming out and like, we're trying to plan a tour and I'm like, I've been on so many calls with about books, right? Like there has to be something that you're offering. Otherwise, why would anybody just sit and listen? Like, what can I give? And I don't know if I even have an answer to that, but I'm sort of like, you know, what can I give that like people might leave and be like, oh, I'm so glad because now in my life I can do X, Y, or Z better or something where it's not just like. And not just receiving. So I think one like practical way to
1: think about Almost like, I think about time as like real estate. So, so you like 60 minutes on us. A-
2: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
3: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. visit betterhelp.com/ moms don't have time today to get 10 percent off your first month that's BetterHelp, moms don't have time
1: Zoom call 59 minutes of those shouldn't be a presentation unless it's literally the most fascinating presentation in the world that people are like, you know, yes, tearing walls down to get this data That's not most people. Like maybe it's the presidential's daily briefing, but it's not maybe. that. And, and so how do you begin to shrink the presentation time to 30 minutes or meaning over an hour or 10 minutes and create time for people to interact meaningfully? And on Zoom, that might mean breakout groups. It might be putting people into groups of three. Like it's not rocket science, but it's having the courage to not fill time. You know what else? Like presentation also is de-risked. Right. I know I know schools that are navigating enormous conflict, whether around COVID or teachers or just so it's such a fraught time. And and when and like administrators come and and finally do a Zoom call and you and you log in and it's a 59 and a half minute presentation. Like they're not doing anything. They're perpetuating a problem because they're not actually shifting the relationship and listening to what people have to say. So how do you actually not just give people something, but how do you create a contract? where the gathering has changed because of who the participants are and how they actually engage
3: there. Like like you can't create something new if it's just a stagnant like webinar. Totally. You should just send the presentation ahead of time. (laughs) Let me skim through it. I will digest the whole thing and I will come back to you in the meeting and and then I will have my questions already thought through and so will everyone else. Exactly. That's like the beauty of like the brainstorm, right? You really do get lots more ideas when you all come together. But like if you're gonna waste time just listening, it's, you know. There's a facilitator named
1: Misha Gluberman and he wrote a book called The Chairs Are Where the People Go with Sheila Hetty like a few years ago. And, in Earl, and I think it was in April, he wrote this sort of nerdy little medium piece that I loved. And it's nerdy because it shows you how to host a cocktail party on Zoom, but like through all of the technicalities. And he recently did, I have a newsletter community that like every two or three weeks we send out like a, a story of what somebody's, like how they're creating togetherness virtually And every now and then we do an experience and we brought Misha in and he showed us on zoom, how you can create basically an unconference, like with a hundred other people. And now zoom has, uh, when he wrote this piece in April, it was like kind of complicated, but now the latest version of zoom has a technology, a feature where you can make everybody the host. So everybody, a hundred people can be a co-host. And so this is an example of like a hundred people or 30 people or 20 people, people are interesting. They know what their problems are. They know what their needs are. And so he created a Google doc where you can, he just said, do you have something, do you have a conversation you would like to host in this group? Do you have a burning question you're trying to figure out? Some people were like, how do you fight online? Like, how do you have conflict safely, virtually with your team? Other people were like, how do you create intimacy? Like all these different questions. And then everybody becomes a co-host on Zoom and you can actually just You see all the rooms, you see who's hosting the conversation, you see what the topic is on Google Docs, and you can literally like portal yourself, like the exit west, you can like go through the portal and like find yourself in another room. And it's a way of actually decentralizing power. It's putting the agenda into everybody's hands and letting people choose where they want to go. And it's not rocket science. It's, it's actually helping people determine what the needs are and choose where they want to go. And people are now doing this virtually.
3: Wow. That's really neat. All right. So there's hope. There's hope for the Zoom world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. How did you know you wanted to be a conflict resolution expert? How did, how did that happen? I mean,
1: I, I assume like your podcast, you are like trying to sort out your own life through this podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes you say that? I, Something I can't tells me. Even <laughs> jump to that conclusion. I'm offended.
1: <laughs> so like same girl. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm biracial, I'm bicultural. I grew up in a, a family that two parents were married and then divorced And my mother's Indian, my father's white American, and then each remarried people who were in a lot of ways kind of polar opposite of the family that they had created together. And they had joined custody and I was part of both homes. And so every two weeks I'd go back and forth between these two homes and it was like split screen or split reality. So one home was this Indian, British, Buddhist, meditating Incense filled, dream interpreting, like world banky <laughs> landmark for me home, and then I would travel 1.4 miles to my father and stepmother's home, and it was and still is a white American evangelical Christian conservative Republican, like meat eating, softball playing dogs, like just just culturally a different place, and that was also my home, and and. So every two weeks, I'd go back and forth between these two split screens. And and like in many ways, the things that each of those cultures, those family cultures began to think of as the other was actually my other two weeks. And so I've always been interested in like when and why and how we come together and and how we create our realities and how we create group identity and how can you create a group and an experience and a community where people feel something in common, feel connected to each other, but don't have to all be the same, where you're not stamping out people's differences in order to belong. In part, because there's communities that I feel like I can belong and be complicated in. And there's communities where I don't feel like I can be belong and be complicated in. And I'm really interested in the communities where you can belong and still have many paradoxes within you. But I'm also interested, I also don't think every community is for everybody. So like a big idea in the art of gathering is exclusion. Like you shouldn't invite everybody to everything. One, it makes everything the same, but also like it doesn't make sense for the purpose. So I'm a huge advocate in excluding people with care and not because of their personality or because of the politics, but because of the purpose. So like you know, I I often talk about this gathering that a journalist hosted called the worn out moms foot nanny and she was trying to create this dinner party she felt obligated to do it it was actually an assignment she had and then she shifted and she said you know what I'm going to a need I have is I'm worn out I'm a mom I'm going to what if I host a dinner party for my other worn out moms she called it a worn out mom moms foot nanny if they talked about their kids they had to take a shot and like the six women who were invited and like went were so excited to be seen as worn out, to be seen as like a real need, and some of their partners were like, "Why can't dads come?" And part of it is because that's not the need tonight, right? And it begins to shift. He's like, "If you want, like, if you want a worn out dad's nanny, you better be a little <laughs> bit more worn out." Yeah. Right, or like it just yeah. starts to create specificity that actually has an opportunity to shift norms
3: very true I know when I was reading about your childhood and the whiplash you must have had going back and forth I'm a child of divorce too and you know my parents lived very close together and they're not quite they're not as different as yours but it's still like any child of divorce <laughs> who has to navigate constantly like having themselves in these two different environments and you know having to adapt and also having to deal with parents in that situation I feel like the conflict resolution like, Schools or whatever, however you get trained, should just like (laughs) should pair up with the divorce lawyers, you know, and you could just like have a a theater, you know,
1: complete organization. It's like a boot camp.
3: Yeah. Boot camp. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So for you personally, like what now you have this book out, you're talking all the time on all these like shows and podcasts. You just talked to Brene Brown. Oh my gosh. I started listening, but now I have to finish <laughs> after this. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. So like, what, what is it you still want to do? Like, what are you like super fired up to do next? And like, what, what now? So I,
1: you know, there, I look at the people who I think have had some amount of like success, whatever you want to define that as, who are like in their sixties and seventies and eighties and who are still happy and vibrant and seem grounded and not like jerks. (laughs) And like what I see them doing and having in common, whether they're a comedian or whether they're like a therapist is that they all are still connected to their source work. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the therapist who still sees clients three days a week. It's like Jerry Seinfeld still writes jokes every day. He still goes to like podunk pre-COVID and hopefully post COVID, like stand-up halls to try out new material, even though he's the most famous comedian in the world. Not because he want, not because he's pursuing mastery, because he's pursuing he's he's close to source work. And so for me, like I for the rest of my life, I think I I'm a facilitator. My my craft and my source, like there, it's to be close to the work. And so in a sense, like I see writing as like this outcome of the questions I'm pursuing through groups. And then I think the second thing that has really helped me is years ago, David Brooks made a speech that resonated with me. And he said something like, no question worthy of pursuit is answerable in a lifetime. And so how do we come together in ways that are meaningful and have a common agreed purpose and not have to all be exactly the same. Like that's a thousand year question. That's true. All right. So you got your work cut out. (laughs) And and I think for each of us, like rather than thinking about the form again, it's like, how do you stay close to your source work? Whatever that is, how do you continue to pursue mastery? Whatever that may be in. Right. It's like, I'm so Brene Brown, like she has one of the best podcast, like one of the best and most like whatever, number one podcasts, it's, she's relatively new at it. And she tweeted the other day, like, enjoyed so much listening to Dax Shepard and Tim Ferriss geek out on how to podcast. Like she's a student, right? She's, she's, con- she's not sitting on her laurels. She's like, when she interviewed me, I was so moved. I was intimidated by the interview, like going in, like, oh gosh, what am I going to say? And she, more than anybody else I read, the entire interview is text-based she like had her book and it was the art of gathering. It was like dog-eared and posted all around. And like, like a student and a student, like with a capital S, she was studying. And it just reminded me, like, we all may have a mastery in one specific thing, but, but like to continue to pursue a question is life-giving, not just to everyone else, but for
3: yourself. By the way, that does not make subsequent interviewers feel any good about what they are doing. I, re- I was reading this before I talked to you, and I was like, oh gosh, I've already failed this interview. Like, I've already, I already can't measure up. I, you know, not <laughs> at all.
1: And I, and I, but I think part of the reason why even interviews for me are fun is because each one is an opportunity to have your brain collide with somebody else's brain. Right. And so, part of what's beautiful about your podcast is that it's like, you know, it's, it's your specific questions. It's your curiosity. It's not just for your audience, but for each author that comes on, that's unique and makes it like moms don't have the time to read books, or Zibian, or, you know, it's like, it's a very yeah. specific DNA.
3: This is just my, literally my opportunity to ask people what I want to know. <laughs> i
2: exactly. like delighted
3: anybody else wants to listen, but this is completely self-serving. So Exactly. So, which is yes. why it's relevant.
1: <laughs> it's like, you have a real need. You have a real like you're spending time, you found a way to spend time despite obstacles, which is I imagine being a mom and the things that like may come along with that. And there's a lot of other people who have the same problem. And so they get a ride along you. Sure. Why not?
3: <laughs> Do you have any parting advice to aspiring authors?
1: Oh, to authors. One is think about a question that you don't know the answer to when you're writing a book. You may have an instinct around, you may think you have something to say, but you re- you're really desperately curious to find out the answer to. That's one. Number two, don't write a book. Write 12 chapters. Like when I was thinking about a book, I was like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. But, and my husband told me this, he's like, write down the 12 things you, you know are true that are counterintuitive that you believe might be like, and, and then go test them. And it was like, tw- and my original yellow, like yellow edge sheet of like 12 ideas I think six of them became chapter titles and six of them didn't and new things came in. But write chapters, don't write a book. Make sure the chapters have an arc, but think about, think about chapters. And then I think the third is like different authors and writers have different parts of the process that they love and that they hate. I love the research. I love the conversations. I love the meaning making. I hate the writing. And I find it very difficult. I'm a much better speaker than I am writer. So I found, I would often like take voice memos of myself talking out loud and then transcribe myself onto the page. Like you find ways to lean into what you love and then to hack through what you don't. Excellent.
3: Sounds like your husband could maybe be a writing coach on the side. (laughs) (laughs) You guys need a little side hustle situation. Yeah, exactly. He's, He's very good. Well, I would say let's meet up sometime, but of course I can't. So if we ever have a common goal that we need to sort out, we should maybe intentionally try to do that face-to-face at some point in the (laughs) 10 years or something.
1: (laughs) I look forward to that. I look forward to that. And And I, you know, I think I get so many of my examples. I mean, as you can hear from this conversation from other people doing real stuff in the world. And so, you know, send me your examples. Like we are, I often on Instagram, we're often having lively conversations about what people's holiday plans are, what Thanksgiving plans are, like what a virtual party looks like. And you can follow me on at Priya Parker, sign up for our newsletter. The Art of Gathering is like a call to look at your own life and ask what the need is and then gather around it. And it, and it's a courageous thing to do, but it's also a contagious thing to do. And so a big part of the Art of Gathering is it's like a norm-spreading, permission-giving book. Love it. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and for a project that you're pursuing, that's, you know, that other people get to benefit from.
3: No problem. Well, thanks for sharing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Debbie. Be well. All
3: right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Oh, bye. Thanks again to Tim Tebow and his book, Bronco and Friends, A Party to Remember, for sponsoring today's episode. Go check it out at timtebow.com slash friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.